0: Welcome to episode six of the Cross Gen Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Rich Melheim, recording this on a hot and humid summer day, hidden away in a secret lakeside log cabin somewhere in southern Minnesota. In the episodes ahead, the Cross Gen Life Podcast will bring you thought leaders and systems change pioneers, movers and shakers, and systems breakers from across the church and society, working to connect the wisdom of the elder and the wonder of the child in the same sacred space each week. Today's episode is the final of a six-part series. The topic is Disruptive Change and the Exodus Today. It features Dr. David Lowes, founder of WorkingPreacher.org, former seminary president at Lutheran School of Theology at Philadelphia, and currently senior pastor at Mount Olivet Lutheran Church in Minneapolis. David's talk was recorded live at a recent CrossGen Life Conference in Estes Park, Colorado. You can find more about our upcoming October 2018 conference at crossgenconference.com. Here's Dr. David Lowes.
1: The biblical story as a source of imagination, as a source of reference, as a source of helping us make sense of our lives in the world has shrunk in our imagination, and it's been surrounded by all kinds of other stories. Um, So these are just a a few magazine covers that I pulled off the internet one evening. Um, Some of them you'll recognize, they're more iconic than others, others are pretty ordinary, but behind each and every one of them stands a larger story. A story about what the ancients would have called the good, the beautiful, and the true. Stories about what is worth saving for? What's worth striving for? What's worth sacrificing for? What in short is the good life? Each of the magazine covers assumes a larger story or worldview about what is the good of this life to, to to pursue. And of course, it's not just the stuff we're reading, it's the programs we're watching, and it's the clothing we're wearing, and it's the cars we're driving. Um, the power of emblem, I just think, is really incredibly significant. Uh, it used to be for a very long time that what the, an emblem, a, a product logo did, was it made a promise to you about the quality of that product. This is what kind of Maytag lived and died on, right? Maytag means quality. Logos today still make promises, but they're no longer about the quality of the product. They're about the quality of the life you enjoy if you buy them. They're actually about the quality of the person you are if you wear them. A few years ago, researchers at Duke University did a study where they discovered that um, that in today's culture, people derive more of their sense of their identity from the logos on their laptop or their shirt or their shoes than they do from almost any other area, including their religious affiliation. That the Nike symbol or the Apple symbol, um, conveys to people the, the same level of identity and sense of self-worth that in a previous generation would have represented, been represented by a Star of David or wearing a crucifix. That, that this is, these are the stories that we're being surrounded by and told again and again. Uh, and so our invitation is to think about how is it that we have an opportunity to tell other stories, um, recognizing that at the current time we are, we are drowning in a sea of stories. Um, So, there's a way in which I think the problem we have isn't so much not enough money, not enough people, not enough kids. I think what we're struggling with is a kind of narrative amnesia. We're just a little bit confused about who we really are today. (laughs) Um, And this isn't the first time this has happened. So, I already kind of shared with you the a few of the smattering of verses across the Old Testament. And again, it's it's really striking to me when you get into the narrative of the Exodus proper that is the actual leaving of the Egyptians it begins with a concern about what we're gonna tell our children and grandchildren and it ends with a concern about what we're gonna tell our children and grandchildren that this whole thing in a way is meant to be a story in which we invite other people. Um, it's a theme that runs throughout Scripture and there's one place in particular uh, where it, it's, uh, it, the, the question is not so much what do we tell our children, but what happens when we stop telling our children? Uh, it's a story uh, um, that comes uh, around the King Josiah uh, in Second Kings. And you may remember, I mean, if this is all you remember from your Old Testament courses or surveys about, about the monarchy, I totally get it because... You know, It seems like every king, there's kind of a litany of the bad things the king does, and then it ends with, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like it's one long, dismal fall from David and Solomon, who themselves were rather checkered you know, personalities, um, down to the entire exile of, of Israel, and again and again, it's this litany of kings that do evil in the sight of the Lord, and one of the shining exceptions is Josiah. And it's during Josiah's reign... Um, that they are rebuilding the temple. And while Josiah sends some of his uh, servants up into the temple to find uh, the treasury in order to pay laborers a fair wage, right? So you already know just from the descriptions of this character that this king is gonna be different. Um, While they're up there looking for money to pay the laborers a fair wage, they discover the books of the law which have been lost. And when uh, the high priest brings the king the books of the law um, he's overwhelmed with a sense of grief and realizes that here is the source of all of Israel's problems. They had forgotten their story. And forgetting their story, they forgot their identity. And forgetting their identity, they forgot with whom they were in relationship and everything, everything fell away. So the story, I think, is kind of worth us reclaiming or thinking about because in some ways, I wonder how often this describes our situation, our congregations, our church bodies today. We don't know our story well enough for it to orient us in this very confusing life, to anchor us amid the sea of all the other stories that are out there. Um, and so it asks this really provocative question, without your story, who are you? It's a story I think that, or it's a question rather that everyone who has a loved one suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia has asked. What gets really difficult about those moments Uh, is the the limited range, it suddenly feels like, of your interactions. Because you don't realize until you're with your parent or your sibling um, how much of your interaction was based on a, a collection of shared stories, experiences over time. And as those dwindle, it just gets harder and harder to feel the same sense of connection. Without your story, who are you? And so one of the invitations I'd invite us to do is that as we're thinking about cross-generational worship and we're thinking about cultivating households of faith uh, through Faith 5 and immersing people in patterns that draw them more deeply into the story, um, that we're not doing that in a vacuum, Uh, that we're doing that against the backdrop of a number of other stories. Are you able to advance that? Because I can't seem to. Perfect. Um, Yeah. All right. uh, Time for my true confessions. Um, I'm a huge Walking Dead fan, and I'll uh, I'll explain that to the people who don't understand later. Uh, But uh, but it occurred to me uh, uh, for 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 a long time um, when our when our kids were first born, uh, we decided not to have cable. Uh, and we just stopped watching TV for quite a while. We'd make exceptions for some sporting events or the Olympics, but by and large, we just stopped watching TV. And it wasn't actually the content of the television programs, uh, it was not wanting to have them sit in front of commercials for endless hours where people were trying to convince them that their greatest worth was what they could buy. Uh, now, uh, this is just one decision one set of parents made. Uh, it, it is not a recommendation, no judgment if you've made other decisions around television. It's not that at all. Um, What was interesting to me was was that when we came back to television, when when we eventually they got to an age and uh, we got cable and and began watching programs together, um, something really dramatic had shifted in television. When we stopped watching, it was all about uh, uh, episodic programs, whether it was comedies like Seinfeld or uh, shows like Castle, you know, where each episode is kind of self-contained And there's some links among the characters, but each one is is by itself. And when we came back to television, we came back to what's now been called, you know, the third golden age of television. And everything has shifted to long-form fiction. I like to call it long-form fiction. That makes me feel better about watching it. (laughs) (laughs) I also, I'll just be honest, I really don't like the phrase bin-watching. It just makes me feel creepy. I think about it as immersive viewing. (laughs) All right? So, um, coming back to this, this, this wild world of television uh, and engaging in immersive viewing of some of the best long-form fiction around, <laughs> I was really struck in, this, in the stories I was watching and the stories my kids were watching, because I made a commitment too. it wasn't just now we can all watch TV. I wanted to watch with them and see what they were watching and be able to talk with them. So, uh, could just a couple of the representative shows we've spent some time over the last couple years watching. Um, the first two were the ones kind of I loved Uh, and the second two were the ones that my uh, daughter loved. Um, And what struck me was that in the last 12 months, as I was watching all of these series, uh, right, I know, no television? All television. (laughs) It's the way I de-stress from trying to bring two seminaries together. (laughs) Zombies. Cathartic, yeah, we're back to that word again. Um, okay, anyway, what I, what I noticed in just kind of, these were the four programs that we were, I, we were, I was living with uh, for a little while, <coughs> excuse me. In each of them, uh, in the last seasons that each of these shows were on, forgiveness became a major theme and a major storyline. And this really interesting recognition that you cannot be in community for long or well without forgiveness that there's loyalty, and there's trust, and there's love, and there's all these other things that are essential ingredients to community, but so also is forgiveness. And I'm sitting there watching it, again, in Teen Wolf, in The 100, The Americans, The Walking Dead, and I'm kind of like, okay, 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 this is our story. Why is it we're content to have everybody else tell it? Uh, And yet, somehow, it's as if kids come to church, and they don't expect the same kind of meaningful story or engagement. So it's the invitation to recognize that when it comes to long form fiction, we've got one of the best stories out there. And honestly, it's got everything, like Game of Thrones has nothing on (laughs) Herod. You know, like have you read these stories? Um, Across the board, there's this ongoing sense of story that we can invite people into with powerful life-changing themes. That's our challenge, that's our invitation, but we do it against a backdrop. We're drowning in the sea of stories, and what I want to spend a couple of moments is thinking about some of the dominant stories that we're contending with, because if we don't understand them or recognize them, it's difficult to unmask them. Uh, and, And when it comes to unmasking them, just a word of counsel, it's not always about simply saying, that's bad. But I think the more important question to ask is, when we think about some of these dominant cultural stories is, is this story sufficient for the weight of meaning you need from it. Like part of the, you are what you are, and this this comes from, I I um, I was at the generosity project that Linda referenced the studies where uh, one of the key goals uh, in marketing in the last generation of marketing and marketing textbooks for that matter is to try to establish brand identity, brand loyalty in children before they are able to speak. Because they've calculated the amount of time a child needs to cry or ask for something until a parent will relent and buy it. So the goal is that not only do children recognize brands, but they identify with them and feel a certain loyalty to them, even before they can speak the name of the product they want. Um, now, the, the flip side of the Are What You Own is, and it, like none of us are exempt from this, we all have stuff that we think is pretty cool. We all have stuff that we value. Uh, and, and so it's not about stuff is bad. It's about our relationship to our stuff is really dysfunctional. That, I mean, okay, so here's, here's my confession. Um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was looking for a new laptop, uh, and it was at that time that I, that I uh, uh, initiated my son into something that I, uh, you know, uh, he would have learned it eventually anyway. But I remember just saying to him at one point, I just said, Jack, just, just so you know, um, when guys do research, like on computers or cars on the Internet, Oh, sorry, when, when we do online shopping, we call it research. <laughs> okay, that was a knowing laugh. <laughs> no, but I, I remember thinking like, uh, new laptop, I want to get, you know, thinking it through, spending a lot of time, waiting, saving up, making sure it's the right one, doing all the comparisons, waiting for the new cycle. Um, Rumors has kind of a buying guide, when there's going to be the new release, waiting, getting it. And then there's this kind of incredible time where I own this new laptop. And I was sure that I would be more creative. My sermons would be better. I would write faster. And I had a feeling the great American novel was tucked in there somewhere. (laughs) And you're kind of just this kind of delicious time of, of anticipation where you've bought it, but you haven't used it yet right cuz the fact of the matter is i get home i plug it in i put the software in i open it up and guess what i'm still the same person <laughs> you know but we kind of lend our things like if we buy the i don't know who else goes to rei and feels outdoorsy just for walking around <laughs> you know like and if you buy something you feel like you went for a hike <laughs> you know? it's like no you didn't you just bought something so we're constantly kind of substituting um, or, or, or buying substitutes for actual experience. Um, but it's one of the dominant stories that are out there. You are what you own. Uh, and this is the power of brands. There's another story that I wanna pay attention to, which is, Image is Everything. And this is a picture from a, a video, uh, uh, Dove, The Evolution of Beauty. Um, and you can, you know, you can, uh, there's a series of videos they've made to kind of try to call into question our perception of beauty. And in this particular one, they take in the beginning a woman who's just you know perfectly normal and normally attractive and fine and every, and then kind of uh go through like the three hours it takes to transform her in uh through uh what did, what do they do the rapid shots you know the little you know what i mean um, still sh- ah, I can't think of the name time lapse thank you very much uh, and then at the end, what's really fascinating, they take all the pictures and then they show up on the computer. And they begin photoshopping them and elongating her neck and changing her features. So at the end you realize that the billboard, the picture that we're all kind of uh, invited to imagine and aspire to, nobody looks like. Like it is, it is not enhanced, it is simply unreal. And inviting us to call that into question. Um, and again, you can critique it, this is Dove, they sell it, beauty blah, 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 whatever. It still is a really interesting point. It's, and it's one of the, the, the stories that we contend with. Um, Another dominant story, there is not enough, and the number um, of commercials that are finally out to create in you a sense of lack, that the number one objective is for you to feel dissatisfied with your stuff, with your life, with yourself, and the answer to that sense of lack, of course, is to buy. Uh, that if you buy this uh, deodorant or this car or this house or switch your spouse, you'll be happy, um, and it's a lie, and it's one of the stories we need to recognize. And the last one that I want to just offer, as against the backdrop of what we're trying to do, um, is the story that I think particularly, particularly we've heard articulated powerfully in this election season, that you should be afraid. I was really struck when I came across this quotation uh, earlier this year. Um, The people can always be brought to do the bidding of the leaders. That's easy. All you need to do is tell them that they are being attacked. It works the same in any country. Herman Goering. These are some of the stories that we're contending with. And our challenge is to tell a better story. We're not doing cross-gen worship, we're not practicing Faith Five to perpetuate uh, the church, to develop a new audience, um, to fix what is ailing. Like all those things may be byproducts, we're doing this because we have heard in the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, a story that changed our lives and has the capacity to change the lives of those around us and indeed change and save the world. That's what we're about. And what we're invited to is to invite the emerging generation into our midst to listen to the stories they tell, good, bad, and ugly, and everything in between, to be aware of some of the dominant stories that are going to be thrown at them again and again, and in the sacred place of listening and sharing stories, to tell a better story, to offer an alternative, to be able to say to them, you are so totally enough. You are worthy. You have more than enough to be content, to be happy, and to share with others. Do not be afraid. That, by the way, is the hallmark of good news in Scripture. Anytime a messenger or angel begins a speech with those words, do not be afraid, you know what's going to follow is unbelievable good news. That's our call, too to gather people in the sacred space, and it's any space is sacred, when you listen and tell stories that are true and offer them up to the Lord, who from the beginning of this story has had a concern that we tell of the the Lord's goodness to our children and grandchildren, that they also may have life. It's not easy work, you know that. And again, one of the great things about this gathering is people being able to be honest about what's really hard. It is not easy work, but it is good work. Work worth giving yourselves to. And I am so grateful that you are. Thank you.
0: That was part six and the final episode in our six-part series on disruptive change in the church today. Thanks to Dr. David Lowe's of Mount Olivet Lutheran in Minneapolis. This talk was recorded live at a recent CrossGen Life Conference in Estes Park, Colorado. If you'd like to attend a future CrossGen Conference, including the one coming up in October, you can find out the latest information at crossgenconference.com. You can also find out more information about Faith 5 at faith5.org and about the great CrossGen Life curriculum and resources at faithinc.com, F-A-I-T-H-I-N-K.com. I'm Dr. Rich for the Cross Gen Life podcast, reminding you that in cross gen life, every age has gifts we need, and every age has needs we get.